we're going back. Where are we going back to? Back to the mailbag. Ah, okay. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) I knew that, but I didn't know how we were going back. Yes, yes. I did not explain my joke beforehand. This is real. (laughs) It was real something. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Just for that, you get to take the first question. I will read it to you. All right. This is from Ayana. She says she's currently in grade 12, and I had a couple of questions about Karl Marx. In my world history class currently, my teacher is talking about Marx and how he was a racist. Apparently, he said vile things about both indigenous and black people. My teacher also said he talked positively about imperialism. All right, that last part, that can't be true, right? (laughs) Uh, Let's get into it in general. Um, I think this is a great question, Ayana. We're starting off with a spicy one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I want to look at the evidence regarding your world history teacher's claims about Marx being racist and praising imperialism. So first, was Marx a racist? Short answer is we can't know exactly what was in his heart or anything because he's, you know, long since dead. Uh, But he definitely did say some racist things. Um, In his private letters to Engels, uh, he used racist language and ideas, uh, including the N-word. So it's like in German, but he also like peppered his letters with like English too. Oh, so he like did use the N word. um, Whereas there is like a neutral, you know, a a neutral term for a black person in German that you could use that he did not use. He was disparaging a mutual frenemy of theirs, and like just you know just does some racism. Woof. Okay, that was in their private correspondence. Marx and Engels, which I think this is your teacher might be conflating the two here, which people often do. They also wrote a lot of published works and some of those were bad. Uh, Marx edited a German daily newspaper called <clears throat> New Rheinische Zeitung. You know, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe That's, not that exactly, but you get the drift. Yeah. And uh, that was in 1848 and 1849. Uh, so Marx was the editor and Engels wrote some articles for that. In which he said some bad things. Uh, the imperialism and in indigenous peoples part, for example. Oh. Uh, Engels wrote an article called Democratic Pan-Slavism, uh, which was not really about the indigenous people in America. That wasn't the focus. They were mostly writing about things, you know, in Germany, in Europe, European affairs, current events, stuff like that. But at some point in, in his article, he basically praised the Mexican-American war. Uh, by saying that, you know, well, the U.S. was taking it from an inherently lazier people. Whoa! That sucks. Yeah, it was, you know, obviously that was a bad war. It was a brutal imperial war of conquest. Uh, duh, you know. That is both imperialist and racist. Like, wow, the double whammy. Now, that was Engels. That wasn't Marx. But again, people conflate them and people like to say, well, if Engels said it, then like Marx believed it too. Yeah, they're best bros. Yeah. They clearly like to engage in in racist humor with each other sometimes, so maybe. Uh, Marx also wrote something that gets lumped in here sometimes, but is a mischaracterization. It's characterized as anti-Semitic. It was titled On the Jewish Question, which is a provocative title. It is. (laughs) Like, I didn't know there was a question. Right. Well, he's actually, it's, it's, it's basically a reply post. Um, to a guy named Bruno Bauer. 
And it was on the question of like, uh, how can Jewish people um, like liberate themselves and things like, like, how can they free themselves from capitalism and stuff like that? In it, he does like satirically, and it's clear based on the overall like point he's trying to make, which is that Jewish people totally can free themselves from capitalism through like through the revolutionary process and stuff. Uh, but he's like satirizing and using against Bruno Bauer and his supporters. He's still using anti-Semitic like tropes and stuff. It's oftentimes, so this work gets quoted um, as saying, oh, here's what Marx said about Jews and stuff like that. Uh, but it's, it was a rhetorical device. It does make sense in context. It, is not something, you know, obviously that you would advise any yeah, no. writer to do in 2022, but that's what, you know, he was doing back then. Okay, yeah. I, I think I kind of get the drift of that. So it sounds like they were both pretty well steeped in the racism of the time, which is to say, yeah, they were probably like kind of racist, which like kind of every white person was then. Like not to excuse it, but like most people were. <laughs> yeah, I that's that's a good point i don't think we should totally give a pass to people doing racist things because of their historical moment you know no 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 like there's always like people who weren't too like i think that's important for sure yeah uh, even you know from well before their time there were people fighting against that and so they were you know in that way falling short right um of what they could be that said i doubt that yeah maybe they did maybe your teacher did this but Usually teachers don't follow that up with a nuanced discussion about the mixed records of historical figures and the importance of evaluating their often mixed historical impact, like the good with the bad. Yeah, I mean, if we want to talk about, like, who is racist, I'm pretty sure we could go down the line of several American presidents, you know? <laughs> like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. And in very more concrete ways yeah yeah not just like i wrote a thing like i legislated a thing and you know destroyed lives yes for sure and usually this is just used as a tactic right they're saying hey marx he was a racist imperialist he was bad you know he said a bad thing everything he did crumple it up and throw it out like that's the implication usually is this you know liberals and great man historians have the, have this sort of they're kind of looking for someone to worship. They they need basically a religious figure. That's what they're looking to do is to canonize someone as good. And any imperfections, you know, that's grounds for tossing them out. They're not, you know, they're not up to snuff. But yeah, like you say, the bigger point here, I think, is that historical figures are usually fucked up in some way. Like they're human. It's a running joke on the pod. Like I give people strikes. So like... <laughs> Like, it's, it's not, like, I don't think we've ever touched on a subject, like, or a person who didn't do something that we disagreed with, you know? Like, no one has a clean right. record here, including us. Like, we fuck up. I'm not saying, sure. like, we write those kinds of things, but, like, <laughs> you know, I'm sure in the future, like, someone will look back on this and be like, oh, yeah, you could have handled that better. Like, definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. And, and we don't you know live up to our own what we think we should be doing and that sort of stuff uh, to give an example right like you were saying we do strikes and stuff like that but we're not like tossing out say oh this person had so many strikes 
fuck everything they did. Throw him in the garbage, yeah. Yeah, you know, like Che Guevara is a good example. When he was a young man, he was just doing the motorcycle journey across South America. Uh, in those diaries, he wrote some bad things about black people. He hadn't met black people before. Uh, but later he becomes a champion of black Cuban rights. He's a literal soldier for anti-imperialism around the world. Obviously, you wouldn't say, well, he be, he wrote that one thing, so throw it all out. Yeah, like he went to go fight in the fucking Congo. Yeah. You can go too far, though, I think, in the other direction, right? And say, well, okay, you know, you should, you leftists should hold this same standard for, like you were saying, uh, the founding fathers. Like, oh, they were flawed, you know, <laughs> and, you know, you shouldn't, you should not be calling them racist or not take down their statues or whatever, right? Ah, uh, good point. Yeah. But I think the key to all of this is just to be fair, right? If you are and analyzing people fairly on the overall totality of their record and taking the good with the bad, you're gonna end up with different results. So like, let's take racism and slavery. Like you were saying, you know, these guys were like legislating racism into existence. Like they were presiding over a country where slavery was constitutionally protected. 12 of our U S presidents owned slaves. Only one of them, I would say, only one of them, Ulysses S. Grant, uh, did enough in the course of his career to, like, fight the institution of slavery. I mean, he defeated the South militarily, waged a war against the KKK using the federal government. I think, you know, he's like the only one that, you know, on balance comes out like, okay, well, I guess he did more to fight it than than his, like, direct participation. You know, it kind of outweighs that. And beyond just slavery, the early history of America is just a, you know, waging a settler colonial genocidal war against (laughs) indigenous people. Engels praised the Mexican-American war, and that was a bad take. But, you know, what's worse is waging it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great point. Very good point. Yeah, I'm still so surprised that he did that. I think it's because... I don't know. Marx got very close to talking about imperialism when he's saying, oh, they, they want to spread capitalism everywhere and like, you know, exploit everyone everywhere. But like, really, Lenin's the one that walked right up to imperialism and is like, I'm gonna write a whole book about this, you know, like they didn't quite get there. Yes. And that's a difference in history. Uh, imperialism, the imperialist process that Lenin was writing about had not developed to that level yet in Marx and Engels's time. So he's kind of like, running with like how did history unfold from that point on it's again we're we're not trying to say oh but they you know they were actually right about it like they weren't you know that was obviously messed up but people in history are just that people the same person can do both very good and very bad things all right and maybe an unpopular example of that is thomas jefferson he's got terrible things in his history <laughs> he did very bad things all right like he was sexually assaulting people that he was holding in slavery. Mm-hmm. But he's the man who authors the Declaration of Independence. And it's a hypocritical document. Oh, for sure. <laughs> but it inspires later people. Uh, the Declaration of Sentiments at the Seneca Falls Convention in 1848, the first women's rights convention organized by women. That's modeled off of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, Ho Chi Minh. When he issues the Vietnamese Declaration of Independence, it's like word for word. It's modeled after it. And I think there's this this great urge to, uh, I don't want to like completely label it cancel culture, but it is like, oh, I found this one thing you said, 
you know, you're done. And like, it doesn't allow any room for growth. Like everyone has done shitty things, you know? Yeah, for sure. And like, I'm not saying like we should totally excuse everybody, but like, it's just that you have to, like you said, you have to take the good with the bad and like, especially historical figures where it's like, it's just a completely different context and it's, you have to like learn what you can from them, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And what, you are supposed to be learning from them is not like, okay, what was every little post that they did? What was every little correspondence that they wrote? Like, that's not what they're known for. What you're supposed to learn from Marx and Engels, they're, they're known for their liberatory philosophy, from Marxism, scientific socialism, right? A perspective of history that's been vital in the hands of people fighting for their liberation from imperialism, for self-determination, for their racial dignity, for their human rights. Like, doesn't matter the source that that comes from, like how pure they were in every moment of their life. Yeah. I mean, you can look at fucking Jesus and <laughs> the Bible. Like they say some fucked up shit too. Like, you know, you, you really do get to pick and choose like what you want to build off of. And like, I don't know, there, there was that whole discourse maybe a couple of years ago when people were like, Oh, we should stop reading, you know, these old white, like Marxists and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think you should supplement your reading with other perspectives, but like there's still something to be gained from it. Yeah, for sure. It shouldn't. Yeah, you're right. That should not be everything. That shouldn't be the whole of it. It's just an incomplete picture. Right. But there's, you know, a reason that so many, so many struggles for the liberation of indigenous people ground their, their, their theory and everything is grounded in that classic old school Marx and Lenin. And, I mean, it's a banger. Is. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you can move past that. You should not just be stuck with that theory. It should be growing and, and changing uh, with historical conditions. But it's still important and you shouldn't be throwing it out. Yeah. So, I mean, back to the question. Yeah, I would definitely start asking questions about like, was, you know, ask for the whole picture for everybody, you know, like definitely. Yeah. If you're going to do that, like, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's disingenuous just to say, oh, hey, by the way, did you know this guy did, you know, a few horrible things and then move on, right? Like, we're, what they're trying to do is just dismiss Marx and thereby Marxism and the left overall, just throw it out altogether. But the interesting thing is, I don't think that your teacher would do this for pro-capitalist figures in history. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm super but curious about where this listener is from. They, they did not mention it in, in the message, mm-hmm. but like, that'd be hilarious if it was in the United States. Because like, we are, we teach them a very whitewashed history. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Like, you have to, you have to work to get just questions put into it that like, move away from the, <laughs> the weird, you know, manifest destiny narrative. They're. There's a little bit of that in there of like, oh, this, you know, this was bad for the indigenous people and stuff, but it's just like one oh. chapter, like one uh, subsection. <laughs> yeah, it's not the main story. It's like, there's also this. Keep it in mind. But anyway, but yeah, this this comes across as propaganda. And, and I mean, if you want to take a look at the U.S. example, we were saying about slavery and everything, but you can take it to more modern terms and say, okay, well, what what if people recently done and for some of those guys it's easy right let's take the past 40 years biden duh i mean (laughs) yeah yeah the crime bill you know if you don't vote for me you ain't black like i mean come on the guy walks around canceling himself every day Uh, (laughs) that's why he doesn't walk around in public anymore 
<laughs> yeah. Trump. I mean, you don't have to get no, into that. No, it's that easy. Too many. Uh, Obama. Obama opposed gay marriage in his 2008 campaign. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that shit. Everyone said, never mind. You're fine. It's good. Don't worry oh, yeah. about it. Yeah. And if you like want to connect that to today, so many of the arguments used against gay marriage are just being trotted out again for like anti-trans stuff. So like mm-hmm. you, people are continually fucking up here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. George W. Bush, of course, Oof, murdered yeah. lots of Iraqis by lying us into a war. So that's just literal blood on his hands. Uh, Clinton, like that was his crime bill. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, and plenty of other things. I mean, he was just a Democratic Reagan. Poppy Bush. Um, he was a, a CIA goon for a long time. So an assassin for Defo, yeah, the empire. <laughs> Se- fam- he had this famous kind of clip that I always think of where he said, I'll never apologize for America. Never. I don't care what the facts are. <laughs> I don't care what the facts are. Literally said that. Oh, that should be on his tombstone. <laughs> I don't care what the facts are. And Reagan, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, that's another yeah. that's that another works. dub. But one famous example for him is is uh, at a press conference, his guys were out there laughing about AIDS and joking about Ugh. it. And none of the, you know, these guys are lionized by one side or the other or what have you. But these statements in the eyes of your teacher probably do not discredit these presidents. You don't say, well, do you know he said this one bad thing? He sucks, you know, moving mm-hmm. on. And again, I guess we don't really know where you're situated. But I could just picture this happening in the American context. Is that, uh, <laughs> we, we just come up across a lot of this anti-Marxist propaganda. Yes, Marx did say some racist things. Engels said some racist things. They were bad. Uh, but what they did, their philosophy, Marxism, their approach to history, you know, scientific socialism, historical materialism. That's all good. Yeah. <laughs> I like that good. part. So... People who sometimes do bad things don't just produce bad. That has to be thrown out, I guess, is the big thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, man, that was a heavy one. I'm already, like, in my pajamas for today. We're talking about, like, racism and imperialism. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, our next question comes from Dan, who actually sent in several good questions, and I just had to pick my favorite. And I think it's pretty obvious why this one is probably both of our favorites. But um, Dan asks, will we have major undertakings like space flight and colonization of other worlds under communism? Would they need to be voted on? You would need a hierarchy of some sort to manage it. But what would that look like? I've always been a sci-fi nerd and would love to see humanity reach for the stars, but not to exploit its resources for capitalism. I agree. (laughs) All right. This is a good one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my gut says... Yes, we can totally do space. <laughs> yes, for sure. I think we'd have space exploration, space settlement under communism. We've had space programs under, you know, existing socialist states. You know, you can get into like, oh, were they completely socialists or what have you? Sure. But they were like wannabe communists like us. You know, they were aiming for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they were still doing space programs. Yeah. I My general hmm, assumption would be that you'd want to have people provided for it like a decent level before getting into that because i could see a situation where it's like hey guys i'm like really hungry could you maybe (laughs) not go to space right now yeah yeah i think that would definitely be a part of it because it ends up being right once you're in communism regardless of the road you took to get there the people in the community are going to be the ones deciding collectively on space endeavors whether to do it how to do it how to prepare all that right 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it's like a more Marxist-Leninist thing, it'd be like a workers' council sort of thing, right? So that would be guided by like the Vanguard Party. Mm. It would be a democratic decision in the se- in the sense of democratic centralism, where so like everybody would be voting on this from the bottom up, up your tiers all the way, you know, to the top. Your party elections and such. Yeah, uh, if you do more anarcho-syndicalist, maybe then you end up with more like workers' councils and stuff through whatever party members you vote for, or if they're doing a mass line situation, they could see if people are into that. If you're total anarchist, you know, like the dispossessed kind of thing, that's kind of how they even started fucking around with this stuff was like some people got interested in it and started working on it. Yeah, for sure. I think to the question of hierarchy to manage it, you know, that could look any number of ways. I think one way to organize it would just be using some of the elements of like worker self-management, but for the scientific sector, you know, so NASA scientists and stuff, or for any space agency, they've done work like this before based on how their governments wanted it set up. So they kind of know from that what worked, what they would have changed if they could have, you know, and, and now since they're in charge, they could implement whatever organizational model they think works for what they're doing. Yeah, I was thinking about this a lot. Like I I saw a tweet about this and I have a a lot of similar feelings about my own work is that our current society often treats like longevity with like, well, now you got to be a manager. And it's like, no, those are two different skills. (laughs) You know, Mm, just because I've been here a long time does not mean I want to be in charge. So I think it'll if if that kind of incentivizing goes away, I mean, the real reason you do that, I think, is to keep people at your company because you're scared they're going to leave and like you have to give them a raise. But like often you have to have a reason to give them a raise. So you give them a title bump and blah, blah, blah. If you get rid of all that bullshit, you can just be like, hey, like who's actually good at this? Like being a project manager is way different than being like good at development or something. You know, like there's there's super different skills. So I think you definitely like will still have like flight directors and stuff, but it's not that like they can fire you and they like make more money than you and are exploiting you. Like they're just a guy who's good at telling people what to do. (laughs) Exactly. That's what we want is a coordination of actual skill sets and everything versus just like you were saying, you know, power and money and that sort of thing. Yeah. And maybe you could vote on it. Be like, yeah, I trust, you know, fucking Harry. He knows what he's doing. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Yeah. This would be like workplace democracy in action in the scientific sector. One thing I think exploration, for the most part, is a fairly technical endeavor, right? It's just how do we got to figure out some problems and fix them and do (laughs) them. For sure. I do think there are some policies that will be involved in in exploration, like first contact with various types of species of like, oh, what do we do when we reach uh, simple life forms or sentient life forms or intelligent life forms, you know? Gosh, yeah. With that, those decision-making processes, I think, would, would require input from the broader community. You can't just rely on experts for that. That, that has to be done democratically because it's more, you know, philosophical. It's more like regular people should weigh in. It's not just like, how do we get the rockets to work? Which, who cares what I think? <laughs> like, have the scientists guys do that. Yeah, that's <laughs> a great point. Like, you, you hear about, like, the golden record they sent and, like, the radio waves they sent. And it's like, who got to decide what was on there? You know, like, what if it was, like... I don't know, a really reductive view of what humanity is, which I'm sure I'm sure it had to be mm-hmm. on some level, but like yeah, I think I think that's a fair point of you you don't want to be put in a situation where you want to rely on experts but also get community feedback. Like you can do both. You don't want it to be a technocracy. Yes, exactly. 
when you get to creating new homes for humanity in space, you know, you're going to have even more of these ethical considerations, environmental considerations. And this is, again, you're, you're going to need more input. Like, I think scientists should be totally advising the public on the facts. Hey, here's what we're doing. Here's like, you know, the, you know, impact of what we would do versus how it would benefit us. Or here's why we think that we should interact with other species this way or whatever. They should advise us on like the moral arguments too, like philosophers and stuff or whatever. But ultimately the community will have to decide overall. I mean, we'll have to take in our own experiences, our own pretty painful path past on <laughs> earth and, and, and think, okay, how will this leave our footprints on the stars? What do we want that to look like? Yeah, exactly. And that is to prevent us from going in the current, like, horrifying tech bro vision, which is just like, oh, just keep exploiting, but more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think Dan mentioned, you know, duh, yeah, we're not going to exploit as resource for capitalism. <laughs> uh, that would be bad. Exporting humanity as it is now would be basically to export a disease. <laughs> it really would. It would. It's like, you want us to ruin your planet, too? We did a pretty good job <laughs> with this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I am also a sci-fi nerd. And we know that, like, space exploration leads to great leaps in all kinds of technology and science. So, like, we should defo do it. And, you know, the dream is we find the fucking Federation who already has the replicator up and running. We could be like, hey, can you give that to us? <laughs> that would be sweet. I realize for a lot of people, in some way, that would be demoralizing. Like, <laughs> oh, we're not as cool now. I don't care. I'm I would love it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. While we're talking about space and aliens, we got a question from Jake. And he kind of shares a theory he has about humans potentially evolving as an entire species once we get rid of capitalism and move into communism. You know, we will be able to like reach full sustainability and like we'll just evolve as people. Basically, we'd be replacing like social Darwinism with like a total other mode of being. Uh, one thing he brings up is something called the Kardashev scale, which is basically a measurement of how efficiently you're able to use your energy. Type one being you, you've handled like the Earth's energy. Type two being, all right, you got like the star's energy. And type three being like, you got the galaxy's energy. And and humans are like a 0.7. <laughs> so basically just pausing like how how do you think humanity is going to change when we get past capitalism overall right I, again this is a cool concept you know this is a future we're fighting for is the whole world right in in unity and solidarity with each other uh we're never like he says i, I don't think we're ever going to achieve sustainability with capitalism nope. like that's impossible <laughs> we're gonna die not yeah not even just surviving like we, we, we can't do that. Uh, we've said it a number of times. Capitalism has us on a death march to extinction. And it's not because it's evil or anything. What it does is it incentivizes people, regular, good, normal people who try to be kind to their loved ones and, and tip generously. And they watch cute cat videos. Regular people. <laughs> it incentivizes them to only look to maximize profit, to exploit their resources, natural, human, whatever, bleed those as much as possible to pocket the profits and pass the costs on to someone else, even if the cost is, hey, I ruined your planet. 
this very much ties into next week's episode, not to give too much of a teaser, but it prioritizes growth over all things to the detriment of basically every other metric. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And so uh, I think this is a good tie-in because he does mention the Fermi paradox, which is named after an Italian-American physicist named Enrico Fermi. And its short, simple version is, hey, the galaxy is a big place (laughs) with a high (laughs) probability of intelligent life, right? It's got lots of sun-like stars. There's a high probability of Earth-like planets and habitable zones. There's a huge timescale for intelligence to arise. So then the question is, the paradox is, if it's so likely, where is everybody? Uh, Yeah, that kind of blew my mind. But for me, I was like, well, to me, it was like, it's so big. That, like, what are the odds we run into each other? That's, see, but that's the timescale thing. Oh, that's right. If they've had billions of years to grown up a big civilization, and then maybe it died out, who cares? Mm-hmm. We should still come across their scrap at some point, if it's common enough. Yeah, or like an old radio signal or something. That's a good point. So I think that's tied in with uh, what you were saying about the Kardashev scale. Uh, named after Soviet astronomer Nikolai Kardashev, who proposed it in 1964, with the breakdowns of like how much energy you can harness or whatever. So like when you're talking about the whole planetary system, mm-hmm. it's like maybe you build a Dyson sphere around your sun or something. Dude, yeah, I thought uh, that was a Star Trek thing only. That's a, I mean, it's not real. It's theoretical <laughs> still, but I was like, oh, we haven't cool. detected this is, them yet. But. This is Jordy's ball. That's what I'm going to call it instead, instead of Dyson sphere, <laughs> Jordy ball. <laughs> yeah. So. Those things, right? That stuff, I think, is super interesting on its own, like imagining how would a civilization harness like the entire the energy of it on its galactic scale, its mm-hmm. whole galaxy. Like, In a way that's not detrimental to their existence. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, maybe they're somehow tapping into supermassive black holes. Like gravitational pull or something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. But I think these are related because like, it's likely that you have to become a type one civilization or very close to it to really take to the stars. You know, we're, like we said, we're not there yet. But the Fermi paradox kind of raises this question of where the hell is everyone else? You know, <laughs> somebody should have like gotten us. there. Yeah, I was reading more about about those like different theories of like, oh, what if we're just a zoo or what if we're a simulation? Ooh. I was like, oh, uh-huh. God, <laughs> it was a lot. Well, one uh, one cool theory on that is something called the Great Filter. So the Great Filter is some unknown obstacle that prevents intelligent life forms from prancing about the galaxy in the numbers that we think we should be seeing. I mean, do they have an example of that kind of filter? Or Sure, yeah, I've, I've come up with several. Okay, <laughs> give me one. But basically, it basically makes it way less likely than we think it should be. It's a theory first laid out by economist Robin Hansen. And what he does, he says, okay, there's nine steps on an evolutionary path towards space colonization. Basically, you have to do these things to get to space. How to space, 101. How to space. First, you have to have the right star system hospitable for life. Yeah, that's an important one. (laughs) Can't do a lot of exploring if you're dead. (laughs) exactly yeah you have to develop life that like reproduces reproductive molecules uh you have to develop prokaryotic single cell life simple man we're doing great so far yeah yeah we've checked most of these boxes eukaryotic (laughs) single cell life then sexual reproduction then multicellular life then you develop animals that both use tools and have intelligence and now you're really are you saying there's no such thing as what if it's a big ass 
cellular creature. Is that a thing? <laughs> like, like it could one be. big ass cell? Yeah, like an amoeba thing. <laughs> well, that's possible. I mean, we don't know everything scientifically. Okay, I'm sure sorry. that's possible. But uh, <laughs> he's saying kind of maybe more from an anthropocentric point of view, because then you get into the thing of like, well, can, you know, theoretically, could there be like a lithoid based intelligence or plants or what, you know, what have you. He's saying animals, whatever. We'll go with it. Or tools. There's that one episode of Star Trek where there was just like a animal floating out there. Yeah, like, okay, so there's possibilities. For... <laughs> Sorry, I've watched a lot of Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> and then step eight is a civilization advancing toward the potential for a colonization explosion. So, like, that's where we are, right? We're, we're on the way. And then nine is, okay, space colonization. The thing about the Great Filter is it throws one of these off, and we don't know what it is. But it's something that it tends to fail more often than we think it should fail. It could be anywhere in those nine steps. So we could have, we could be on the other side of the great filter. We were lucky. We made it through, right? So maybe some unknown factor makes good for life stars and planets way less likely. Or the ideal conditions for life are way, way, way different from our own. And we're just kind of really weird and can somehow deal with it. Or there's a teeming horde of dark matter-based beings roving the galaxy, feasting on eukaryotic cells wherever they show up. Yeah. Uh, but for some reason, like, our buffet tastes really terrible to them. So they spared us, and here we, we are. We stanky. <laughs> there's a lot of different, you know, possibilities. But in that case, we are the weirdos. We <laughs> somehow made it through the Great Filter, and it's unlikely that we're going to find very many other species that make it through. If I like that one. All right. There's another possibility, <laughs> okay. which I think Jake kind of alludes to in his question, because uh, the Great Filter could loom ominously over our future. We have yet to face something that will greatly limit our ability to get into space. The question, I think, brings up a good candidate for that. Capitalism, imperialism. Mm, yeah. Um, as oh. we just talked about, you know, capitalism could uh, keep us earthbound in one way by exhausting by all of our resources all. before we could get there. Or, yeah, <laughs> killing everybody. Maybe that's the great filter is uh, oh. sometimes or a lot of times species annihilate themselves before they can get into space. Yeah, that's not a cute filter. I, I'd have to go with a different one for that. Maybe Valencia, <laughs> maybe something else. Yeah, and, it, you know, that's not picky about oh, it has to be capitalism gets you there. Maybe they do it under monarchies or what have you, but the great filter being obliterate yourself before you get to space, like that could happen a lot. And so that's why we don't see. Yeah, I saw that as one of the the, the, the explanations was that like civilizations tend to destroy themselves, which I was like, wow, this is a cool thing for me to read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh. So I don't know. I guess I agree with Jake that like we got to get to the communist utopia Save ourselves from extinction. Save our chances at uh, taking to the stars, you know? That's funny because, like, I kind of interpreted this question in a different way, like, much more physically of, like, how would we change as, like, a species, like, our bodies? <laughs> Whoa, yeah. I mean, that's possible. It takes a really long time. Evolution moves really slowly. It does. It does. And, like, what's interesting about that is that, like, so much of our, like, original biology is still in place for a lot. Like, obviously, mm -hmm. we don't know everything about it, but, like, we still have bodies that are basically built for hunter-gathering and, and stuff like that. We have genes that tell us to f about feast and famine. So, like, we're very much, like, cave people bodies still. <laughs> oh, yeah. So. We are the same anatomically as 
humans have been throughout the entirety of recorded history and most of prehistory. Exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, as technology keeps going, like, we got to think about transhumanism, too. Like, what if I get to have cyborg wrists? That would be great because I could draw all day. <laughs> but I guess what I'm saying, thinking is that, like, I think we will have to... I think our bodies might change. Like, whenever, like, profit and, and even work at a certain point, if we go full utopia, if that is not required, you know, are we just brains in a tank at a certain point? <laughs> I don't think so, because I like having a body and all. Terrible hiking trips aside, I generally <laughs> like it. Yeah, but I mean, then maybe we enter into two different phases of life. So we have the body life while we have a body, but eventually that gives out, and then we transition into uh, the brain in a jar. Phase yeah, of that Black Mirror episode. We do, yeah, we just do San Junipero. <laughs> Fuck yes. But Please it's free. Everyone can do it. <laughs> That's okay. what we're about here is communist San Junipero. Absolutely. Please make it happen. <laughs> wow. We've, we've talked a lot about space. I love it. <laughs> this is right up our alley. All right. Next question is also up our alley, which is a quiz. <laughs> Hell yeah. Colin asks us to take the left values quiz, uh, which is like a, a political compass test um, from a leftist lens. I think we have both already taken this quiz before. I know I have. Mm, yeah, I have at some point, but it was so far in the past that I definitely forgot. Same. <laughs> so it was brand new to me, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. First category, revolution versus reform. I got very revolutionary, 76.5%. Oh, I got 70.6% revolutionary. Yeah, same. I think that tracks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's about, that makes sense. The questions that pertain to this were basically like, how do you think a revolution is going to happen? Or, you know, how do you think we'll get to socialism and communism? And like, do you think it's good to pursue electoral politics? Stuff like that. Yeah. And those were interesting because it's like, I, I usually chose kind of a soft, uh, you know, a, an agree or disagree versus a strongly. It was a Likert scale, five point. And I usually chose those because it's like, I think you should try to help people in the meantime. I think it can be good to like agitate and to, you know, spread the word. I don't think it's the solution, but also then again, if it ends up being the solution, fine. But it's just not what I think is going to be, you know, what I think is going to work. That's how I was too. Like I, I gave a lot of those kind of middly answers of like, fine. Yeah. If you want to do it, do it. Like I'm not going to mm -hmm. tell someone not to do it. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Next category. In scientific versus utopian, I got scientific 75%. I got 68.8% scientific. Ooh, you got that utopianism. I got a little bit in me. I get it. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> All right. Uh, I don't even remember the questions for that one. That one uh. to me just felt like, <laughs> it felt like a quiz where people are like, does this look like a Marx quote? And I'd be like, yeah, that's a Marx quote. And then I would like it. <laughs> mm, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Next, uh, central versus decentral. I'm curious where you're on this one. I got 70% central. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oops. But I got 55-45, um, favoring central slightly, which kind of surprised me. I'm usually pretty anarchist. Yeah, that's our that's a big division for us, I guess. I was, I was wishy-washy in that category, to be fair. Mm -hmm. Like, again, it's like, I don't care how the fuck it happens. <laughs> like, that was my yeah. big thing from this quiz was like, I just want it. Give it to I'm desperate. <laughs> well, what did I... There were a couple of questions, let me see, that really made me think on this one. 
Oh, there were several questions that said basically it's local versus national in terms of planning or organizing the economy from the bottom up versus the top down. Uh, there, there were questions on this and I ended up saying neutral several times because I was saying like, you need both. You, you do. need local feedback. You know, you need to get the information from the ground, but then you do have to have some sort of national coordination system. Or if you want to go anarchist, like a, a federative coordination between the different communes, whatever, like you need like the Chilean CyberSyn computer, basically like you need something to, <laughs> to like make all this work or you're going to have, you're going to be very small scale and very almost anarcho primitive because you're just not going to have access to the same things. Yeah, I agree. I, I struggle with those questions too. Cause I'm like, I see the logic of a big system, but like, I also know how important like local food systems are and you know, things like that. Like you, you want to be in touch with the community. So it's like mm -hmm. do both. <laughs> Yeah, it's a question of like, okay, what's more important in terms of how you perceive the world? Are your fingertips more important than your brain? You know, is your brain more important than your eyes? They do different things. They're both necessary to like carry it out. Yeah, yeah. As a Gemini, I very much struggle with this quiz because I'm like, I see both sides. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I guess I'm, I also was, was more like, oh, it's fine to like have a centrally organized like party and stuff like that too. Like I, I disagreed with like some of them. Like I remember one was phrased like uh, a centralized party is going to get corrupt. I'm like, no, that's not true. <laughs> you know, right, like, yeah. So not, I, I wasn't hard against it or anything. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. Next is international versus national. I got 82.1% international. I don't give a fuck about nationalism. <laughs> I only got 76.8%. Okay. So it's still pretty international. Yeah, I got very internationalist. I think the national part was, uh, I was, I only said like a soft agree for when it was like nationalism and patriotism were unacceptable. I just said agree instead of strongly. Oh, I think I said strongly. <laughs> well, I was saying like, I don't it's, remember. Fine, it's fine for you to, you know, go for your country in the Olympics or want them to do well. You just don't want to be like tearing other countries down. You know, you don't want to be nationalist in that way. And also there is a question about the international proletariat belonging to no country. That was like a soft degree too, because like realistically, I don't see a problem with first organizing socialism, like within nation states, that's what we've got. That's a good point. Tumble all the dominoes down and then eventually, yeah, we're going to have, you know, one world communist utopia and we'll be going to space. But like before that, we're going to have to build with what we have. And I, and especially if we're talking about, nationalism in the context of like national liberation struggles in colonized countries like for sure like use that you know yeah yeah that was the only like that's probably where my 20 percent came from is like yeah if you're if you're under colonialism or whatever like yeah you should fucking do that you know yeah so i don't think we you know we were reasonable there <laughs> yeah all right next party versus union what was yours i got very partisan 76.9 <gasps> percent this is where I, this is one of my most controversial or split categories. I got 42.3 and then 57.7 .7 in favor of union Ooh. slightly. I struggle with these two because like, I, again, I just said yes to everything. I was like, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't care if a party does it. I don't care if a union does it. Ideally you would do both or like a mix or something like my, my trouble with pure unions, I think is cause like not everybody is a worker technically, you know, like maybe that could be, uh, off-putting to some people and then my problem with the party is like the same thing not everyone's going to want to get involved in that so like i was very just like sure on those questions 
Yeah, I think that this one, if you answered anything in favor of like democratic centralism or party discipline and any sort of thing, like that was that was no, that was that was you're going to be partisan, I guess, because I was thinking like I I didn't say like, oh, there were some there were things about like workers self-management and stuff of like. Should workers, you know, democratically run the workplace? I was like, fuck yes, they should. You know, yeah. I think it was just if you were for the party. It, I, I, I don't even agree with that binary. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird one, but that's where I ended up. Listeners, if you take this quiz, this is like kind of a good secret uh, class quiz because it tests you on terms like democratic centralism, which I had to think about for a second, but I remembered <laughs> Wait, it one? without yeah. having to check the Patreon notes. I'm very proud of myself. Nice. <laughs> My brain got it for me. All right, next. Production versus nature. Uh, I got 77.8% nature. Oh, nice. That's actually higher than mine. Uh, I got 69.4% nature. Nice. We're both uh, I was very ecological. I guess you're just ecological. Yeah, just ecological. Okay, but what's weird is that the category I most fit into was eco-marxism. Ah, same. Spoiler, but yeah, same. That was my closest match to eco-Marxism. Interesting. I felt like these choices were some of, even though like I clearly got eco-centric kind of stuff, I feel like some of these choices were the hardest because they would like pit like human happiness versus nature a lot. And I was like, "Uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know. The thing you have to realize about like environmental concerns is that like it's a holistic system. So like you can't really just be like, well, this is good for people and bad for nature. It's like probably it's also bad for people. (laughs) Yeah. If you're thinking of it purely in a productive standpoint, like can we make more whatever? It's like you don't have to make those things a lot of times. There was something also about population growth, curbing it for sustainability. Yeah. And that one was like, You know, like, mm-hmm. obviously, like, let's not do eugenics, but like, we should have birth control. <laughs> you yeah, know, and that's the thing is like, that can really slide into ecofascism mm-hmm. uh, pretty easily. But, you know, yes, I think long term, you do need to like have a stable population. But it's not the big, you know, the big issue isn't that that's not really what's killing the planet. What was, what was the other one? There was something that was like, uh, environmental measures are unacceptable if they significantly reduce qu- production and quality of life. The uh, That one, and it was also, is it acceptable for humanity to suffer to some notable extent to preserve the ecosystem? Both of these I was strongly, and I was saying, my main thought here was, we are already doing this. Humanity is already suffering to a notable extent, and that is in the service of torching the earth. So sure, we could do some human suffering in terms of cutbacks <laughs> to save the planet. Because it's also a question of who is doing the suffering. If we're talking about like the oh, imperial yeah. core countries having to cut back, then yeah, they need to, you know? <laughs> That's a great point. This this quiz is kind of assuming you're from those places. Like they even had questions on the like internationalism thing of like where you think the revolution should take place. Like if it's industrialized versus deindustrialized. Mm, yeah. Okay, the last category I found very puzzling, which was conservative versus progressive. I'm like, who are mm-hmm. these conservative like leftists out there? <laughs> are they lost? Why did we even have... There was a question about abortion on here. And I'm like, is somebody against that here? Like, what are you doing here? <laughs> uh, well, I got, what is it? 83.8% progressive. I got very progressive. I got 80.9. Now I feel less progressive than you. <laughs> How did you end up there? I think I responded meh to a marriage question because I was like, well, you don't have to get rid of it. I just meant like as a state, it shouldn't be like a legal thing. 
Damn, what did I say on the marriage one? Let's see. Psst, whatever it was, it wasn't interesting enough for me to <laughs> write it down. <laughs> there was something about similar cultures uniting in federations or confederations, and I just put neutral because I was like, if they want to, that's fine. Like, you can do that. I think I said yeah. I was like, yeah, if you want, yeah. Right, yeah, it's not a not a big deal. Yeah, the abortion one, I don't even remember how they phrased it. It should be severely limited or something. Yeah, and I'm like, who, who what are you doing here? How did you get to this website? <laughs> well, if you're like a Stalinist in, or, you know, a, a Marxist-Leninist <laughs> in the Soviet Union in 1941 or something, then I mean. <laughs> you but, would have a problem with a lot of these. You'd be like, who, what, <laughs> the environment? I don't give a shit about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know, but. Uh, some of this too it's like I, I guess we'd have to take it side by side but they randomized the order so mm-hmm. it's hard to tell where exactly you got it so you were also an eco-marxist i was that was my main category i think that just means i think it means you're very marxist you did get ecological yeah yeah because my next closest match was a 94.7 percent match for orthodox marxism yeah that was actually my my next category too that one just seemed to me, because this description is, former Marxism adopts and views to conform to Marxist theory as originally written, particularly on the topic of dialectical materialism. Okay, I'm pro that. They're highly revolutionary and internationalist and hold that non-industrial societies are incapable of achieving socialism, which I actually said no to. I said no to that too. So I thought that I was I said weird. a soft disagree because yeah. basically like I was thinking, well, we played the quiet year and like we've read the dispossessed. Like you can do... You can do it. It's harder, but you can do it. Yeah, it's yeah, it's harder. That's a good way to put it. So I, you know, I, I don't know why that was my main one. I guess it's because generally I was, you know, being barely Marxist Leninist about things. But I only got seventy nine percent Marxist Leninist. Uh, Marxist Leninist for me was pretty low, sixty point seven. <laughs> my next popular ones were Council Communism, Centrist Marxism, Left Communism. And then I get to eco-anarchism and anarcho-communism. I'm kind of disappointed in myself. I thought those would be higher. Uh, let's see. I've got, so eco-Marxism, orthodox Marxism, then left communism, then centrist Marxism, which just sounds like an insult. It like, does. <laughs> like you're not even hardcore enough. I get what they're saying because it says refraining from taking a definitive position on revolution and reformism, which we're very much like doing that. We're like, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Council communism was next for me. Uh, Then I had left wing nationalism, which sounds gross. It does. I had that one at 76%. Yeah, it does. The way to describe it's not bad. It says mixes left wing economics with non xenophobic nationalism and patriotism. Yeah, it's like liberation struggles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Then I had Marxist-Leninism. The big cliff for me is after that, because that's at 79%. All these other ones are above 79%. Then I go drop down to 53% for democratic socialism. Oh, mine was 64 for that one. So I I still kind of played around with it. My big drop, Mm -hmm. my biggest drop is between market anarchism, 55.3, which like, what the fuck? We don't need to do that. (laughs) And then social democracy gets a whopping 30.9. And utopian socialism gets a zero from me. I fucking hated it. <laughs> but you were a little more utopian than I, I know. I, I also got a zero percent on utopian socialism. <laughs> we are not utopians, I guess. Scientific socialists, Two nerds. Uh, I then I had zero for that. I had nineteen point two percent for market anarchism. Uh, then thirty nine percent for social democracy. 
I was confused by that term even. It says it mixes anarchist goals with a moderate reformist approach. Okay, okay. Not to be confused with with anarcho-capitalism. Got it. You remember the guys who wanted to do labor tokens the whole time? Yeah, okay. I think that's who they're referring to here. Okay. I mean, fine. I don't really care about it, which a 50% is like, yeah, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, By the way, listeners, now it's my cat's turn to go crazy. If you hear any claw marks on the couch or just jumping about, (laughs) that is Higgins just fucking with everything in sight. So Mm -hmm. he's very cute, though. All right. That one that one was a fun one. I liked it. Okay. Next, we have a question from one of our friends at DSA, which is Ian. Hey, Ian. So Ian asks, I want to give my family economic security, but even though there is no ethical consumption under capitalism, there are some lines that are too immoral to cross. Being a landlord is one of the big ones. I have to agree. Despite the economic security it may provide for me, I don't want to achieve that by stealing someone else's autonomy. But I had the thought the other day, is a vacation rental the same? Say you buy a house in a vacation destination, you know, maybe a resort town in Mexico, and then rent it out on apps like Airbnb or VRBO. Is that just being a landlord still? Or is it less immoral? Would I be an exploiter if I did that? Or would I be living within a capital system that I'm forced to live in? Would love to get your perspective on this. What do you think? The short answer here is I think it's fine to do vacation rentals. But to get into it, Ian rightly brings up the question of ethics, right? Ethical consumption or moral ways to make a living within a fucked up capitalist system. Even though we like to say, sure, there's no way to truly, you know, be pure within capitalism. Uh, You know, and I do think that's true. I I don't think that that means we as individuals should discard our morality entirely. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. No, don't do that. Yeah, it's it's important for us as human beings, you know, with or without souls, if you like, what have you, to try to lead good lives, try to make good choices, to wrestle with questions of morality, right? Yeah, and I think it becomes very easy when it's a line like a landlord or a cop, like maybe don't do those things. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, it's important to keep in mind, you know, it's the reason we have this phrase about no ethical consumption is while it may be good for you as a person to make a certain choice of consuming or behavior or what have you, it doesn't, your personal behavior doesn't usually change the overall system. It's not enough. Exactly. Yeah. Like you shouldn't be tricked into thinking that it is. Yeah, for sure. And the flip side of that is, of course, don't beat yourself up about every little thing, you know, oh, I ate some fast food that's bad or something, you know, all fall short of the glory of global communism. Sure. It happens. <laughs> But let's wrestle with the question. Okay, so I agree with Ian. I agree with you. Being a landlord of actual permanent housing, bad. Puts you directly in an adversarial, exploitative relationship with someone who is probably working class. You can raise some of the same arguments. Yes, if you don't do it, someone else will. Just like if you don't buy something from Amazon, someone else will. So you can't like abolish landlords just by telling communists don't be landlords. It's not enough. But... Being a landlord of regular housing is, I think, just bad for you as a human being in general and as a leftist in particular. You'll be bleeding people while holding their ability to survive hostage. Whereas a vacation home is more of an option. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, I think that I think you eliminate that because it's it's not a you're moving up Maslow's hierarchy, essentially. Right. So it's not it's not a necessity instead of, you know, basically daily 
playing highwayman and your victims are people <laughs> with whom you should have class solidarity and, and, you know, basically daily eroding your, your ability to see yourself as an ally, you know, as part of the working class. Yeah. Empathy. Yeah. Like instead of doing that, I think when you move over to, okay, well, I'm just kind of, I'm basically just selling something. I'm selling a luxury good. That's different. You're not holding someone's ability to survive hostage. I do think that the finer things in life should be guaranteed eventually. You know, like once we've housed everybody, that should also be a guarantee. And we shouldn't have people being able to hide that behind a paywall, you know. But within capitalism, which is the question, what the question is about, I think it's fine. Is it a completely clean way to make a living? I don't think it is. I mean, nothing is. Yeah. Okay. Counterpoint, though, a lot of times what happens with these Airbnb like areas like New York or just like other really popular places to go is that ends up driving up housing costs. Oh, yeah. That's the that's the gray area, right? Putting aside like, oh, we could just provide that housing to someone for free. Like, okay, yeah, once we get to socialism, um, or it could be rented out as subsidized housing, or like you say, it's driving up rents by creating artificial scarcity. Yeah, it does have its problems. And so thinking about this, I was like, there's kind of a spectrum. Yeah, yeah. It's not a black and white question, I don't think. Yeah, because I mean, you do have landlords, cops, oil company executives, CIA (laughs) assassins, you know, you have like that (laughs) tier of jobs that are like just... They're evil, you know, like you really can't hold on to yourself. You know, you're going to lose that to the system. You're going to lose your ability to be a leftist basically to it. You can't do that. Um, But then, you know, you can move down a tier. You can be like a files clerk at Homeland Security or a middle manager (laughs) at at Corporate Inc. or whatever. And that's, you know, got its problems there. And and the tiers have, have grades between it, but like, think about really good things like, yo, I'm a wildlife conservationist. Like, okay. Or, you (laughs) know, you're a teacher at a radical anarchist gradeless school or something. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) So, I mean, there are like really good jobs, I guess, for leftists. Yeah. Or like an organizer or whatever, you know, like there's lots of things. There's a lot of good you can do in this world. There's a lot of not so good. And, you know, I ain't here to tell you what to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I do think there are some that you just should not get into for sure. <laughs> some hard lines. And like Ian said, like landlords, that's one of them. Cops, that's one of them. But besides that, not everyone can have uh, the, the saintly tier jobs, you know, like and that's not what it's about. It's not necessarily about minimizing your sins, uh, to, to put it one way <laughs> in, in the world. You're gonna you're, you're gonna fall short. You're gonna have to dirty yourself in some way you have to take what you can get and the thing is how do you put your energy towards freeing yourself and your comrades from this system that makes you degrade yourself this way you know you should you know try to minimize it to an extent but i don't think the renting the vacation homes is on the same playing field as being a landlord i like you said it does have its problems and i think that you should maybe take that into account and and make that more of a priority and fighting, you know, for housing and stuff, which you probably already do. Yeah, I mean, like, he's part of DSA. Yeah, so... so <laughs> you do more than you're us. You're doing the work, yeah. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's that's the only... doubt. Down- Everything comes with those downsides, though. Like, I mean, if you work for a company that makes use of the global supply chain, then how much carbon are oh, they yeah. putting up, you know? <laughs> uh, there's so much of it out there that it's hard to... It's almost impossible to extricate, like, all the ways that capitalism has put its tendrils all over your life. It's nearly impossible to opt out of that system. So you just got to do your best. Yeah. 
do your best and a story. <laughs> and that you're thinking about it in the first place, you know, that's a big part of it. A lot of people sure. just do it, you know, and don't think twice. Yeah. All right. Next question. This is from one of our longtime friends of the show, Richard. I always love getting mail from Richard. <laughs> Heck yeah, for sure. So Richard, first off, gives us a Buku's compliments on the Diggers episode, which I loved. I love compliments. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. And he's like a real ass scholar on like religion. So like he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. So very validating, I'm sure. I mean, I, I say as if I did any research on that, but it's fine. It's, you know, <laughs> whatever. I was there. I was, I was participating. And anyway. you offered insightful commentary. Hey, thanks. Okay, he brings up that, as you noted, Jesus was basically working class. He was he was part of that group, and he was probably a member of the Zealot group, which was most likely involved in some political assassinations at the time. Also, his pal Judas was part of a subgroup of Zealots who, like, would kill fellow people who collaborated with the Romans. Like, they were doing fucking assassinations and shit. So, like, Jesus was a, a political enemy of the empire in, like, more ways than one. Not just because he said some cool shit, but, like, he also was involved in, like, these cool-ass revolutionary things. Like, not revolutionary in, like, the traditional Marxist-Leninist way, but, like, in a, in definitely an anti-empire way. I like also in, in this uh, comment, Richard brought up the different, like, the multiple authors mm-hmm. in the Bible and the different perspectives and stuff. And it's interesting to see... In that, if you you can kind of dive into it and stuff, if you get really into it, but like uh, one example is John, he presents like a more mm, spiritual Jesus, a more like it starts out first of all in this weird kind of ooh, very flowy way instead of like <laughs> here's the story of of Jesus, a guy who did some things and he was cool. It's it's more like uh, esoteric. Yeah. And he's like trying to appeal to the Roman Empire. This is when he's like trying to make it more of an official and acceptable oh, thing. Oh, you know? interesting. Which, yeah, it's a crazy cleanup job from, as Rich is saying <laughs> here, like he's in the zealot group, you know, and, and Judas Iscariot being, you know, the Anglicization or whatever of, of Ishariot, uh, the Ishari, who were this group. Um, and I've also seen it written like Sicari. I saw that too. Yeah. Which is where we get the word Sicario, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't know about that, like, at all till no. seeing Richard's comments <laughs> here. So I never made that connection. I just thought, like, it was his last name or something, I which so I guess too. is modern. <laughs> it's more modern than they had or something. Yeah. Maybe they had last names for some people, or depending on where you were. But, yeah, it was, that was cool. And, like, it was, I was going down a little rabbit hole reading about, like, debates over the authorship of the Gospels. Mm-hmm. like who um because it's like oh well we think they got like these different sources they they were working off of different sources and stuff and it's you know you can get really into it and stuff it's crazy how much we don't know about oh yeah it's all just guess (laughs) yeah and it's like a pretty influential (laughs) historical uh historical document but religious text you know very influential on the course of history regardless of what you believe or don't about it you know that we don't know so much about (laughs) yeah yeah that's pretty crazy so yeah i looked into like the zealots i didn't like dive too deep into it for but from what i can tell it was like a like a first century movement to to kick the romans out and like they were cool but also like did some shady shit like they they would like destroy food and firewood in order to like force the jews to fight with them to like fight against the romans being like well now you have to fight because you're like you're gonna starve and they would like raid some villages and shit so like 
yeah, not 100% cool, but like interesting for sure. <laughs> and they were, yeah, I mean, they were willing to take extreme measures. Yeah, for sure. Know? And it's not, I think it's not just Jesus. I want to say there were other of the apostles that were labeled as like being in the, there's Simon the Zealot. That's Oh, obviously. yeah, yeah. I guess he was, he was a Zealot for sure. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I think Richard brings up a good point of, of, you know, how people miss this about the Bible, that there is this class conflict um, that's, I mean, it's spelled out. It's there. You have the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, and the Zealots and all this, but you, you know, you gloss over that. It's like how they do with Martin Luther King. And they mm-hmm. say, oh, he just he just had a dream where everyone was nice <laughs> to each other, you know. And they don't say, well, he was like anti-war, anti the Vietnam War. He was like basically advocating for socialism and, and all this. Super pro-labor. Yeah, yeah. And and it's, it's a part of this process. And Lenin talked about this, how they whitewash historical figures and say, well, we don't want to, we don't want any of the of the revolutionary bits that we hated them for when they were alive. And, and, and we literally crucified this guy for it. You know, we don't want any of that. We just want to say they were nice. They said, be nice. That's all you need to remember about them. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think what's tricky about the Bible, at least like having been raised Catholic is that stuff becomes like background noise. You're like, I don't know what the fuck the Pharisees are. Like, I'm not going to research that. That's just like, you know, more time till I get to leave. <laughs> so like, you know, it's, it's not like it's, it's cloaked in all this like ritual and repetition to the point where like, you don't really stop to examine like, what is the historical context of this? You know, like they talk about like the, the priests that, that also hated Jesus. Like there's a lot of people that fucking hated Jesus, you know, like, and it is very much a class conflict. It's very much an imperial versus like a subjugated people. Like it's, it's all those things are there. It's just that like, we don't talk about it. <laughs> the extent that we do talk about it, it's like you said, it comes background noise or like... Uh, like characters. It becomes very specific. Yeah, characters. Like it's, we just like, oh, Pontius Pilate, you know? <laughs> right. That happened then in that moment. And it was unique to them. But it, like, come on, that stuff wouldn't translate over into any modern day, you know, situations. It's not like we have classes like that now and different interest groups that like hate each other Definitely and are not. fighting against imperial oppression and stuff like that. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Eat the bread. So. But uh, yeah, I, I, I love this feedback from Richard. It's always great when you chime in. We always appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Next, this is the one that really threw my Wikipedia search history into a tizzy. (laughs) (laughs) Because to recap, I had looked up theories about aliens, Judas, spoiler for an upcoming question, serial killers, and now the Smurfs. Because Matt asks, are the Smurfs communists? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Marxism, Leninism, Smurfism, what do you got? So... Matt points out that they don't have any money or a class system and basically just like, what do you think? So I did a little, little brief search. First off, did you know that the hats that they wear are called Fergian caps or maybe Fergian? Yeah. Well, I know about that type of cap and it's the type they're wearing, the little, the little um, red Liberty cap. Sort yeah. Of thing. Yeah. And those are, that's what I was going to say is they're called Liberty caps. Yeah. They're like, uh, I thought that they, I don't know. They're, they have a French tie or something? Or, or So, yeah, they originated in ancient Rome because, like, 
freed slaves would wear them. And then eventually, yeah, they, they showed up again in the French Revolution and also the U.S. Revolution to some extent. Dude, George Washington walking around in a Phrygian cap. <laughs> Just a floppy red nightcap <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, at some point, they're in the battle. He's like, fuck this. Get me my tricorn hat. This is stupid. <laughs> floppy is out. Tricorns are in. <laughs> Okay, I thought that was just interesting. Anyway, so first off, I learned the Smurfs are a spinoff from a Belgian comic series. Had no idea. <laughs> okay, yeah. I I honestly, I guess, don't know that much about the Smurfs. I used to watch it like a little, but it wasn't one of my faves. Um, other Smurfs trivia. All Smurfs are 100 years old, except for the ones that are explicitly labeled otherwise, like Papa Smurf, Granny Smurf, or Baby Smurf. They all like sprung into existence at the same time i guess it is really unclear if these guys even can reproduce because smurfette was created she's like the only lady besides like a few others and she was created by gargamel very confusing her storyline is very troubling so yeah (laughs) anyway smurfs trivia aside can't wait to bust that out at a future party (laughs) so their community is very cooperative the the whole premise of the show is you have blank smurf you know like i'm chef smurf i'm handy smurf you know whatever it is like everyone's good at something and so they contribute there doesn't seem to be money everyone seems to have access to housing and clothes and food and Mm -hmm. you can kind of see they like they don't have a hierarchy like papa smurf is in charge but i didn't you know they don't ever like allude to voting for him or anything and like in one episode brainy tries to take over and become king and they like basically do a revolt (laughs) get rid of him i mean (laughs) they don't kill him but you know yeah um and and like the way like they don't really punish people at one point they have like a trial but they don't have police you know it's like a it's like a civilian militia when fucking gargamel shows up and they need to fight you know yeah yeah i was gonna say it's like papa smurf's not like arresting people or something right (laughs) no yeah like it's kind of a a self self policing but like not in like the bullshit way like Brainy is again a good example because he's like super annoying and people just like hit him when he gets too annoying. They just bonk him on the head and they're like, yeah, shut up. Like, we don't care about you. (laughs) So like you get ostracized basically if you're annoying. Yeah. So like very anarchist. I think so. I I give it a little bit of an anarchist flavor. Kind of ancom. They don't ever seem to struggle with like material goods or needs. Like they eat Smurf berries, which are like sarsaparilla bits. I don't know. And so, like, they're never like, oh, we're low on food or whatever. Like, that'd be kind of a dark episode, I guess. So they don't super get into that. So they seem to have a pretty charmed life. It's a little utopian, but also it's a children's television program. (laughs) Yeah. Well, fair enough. I guess we shouldn't take our theory from it. (laughs) So there is an interesting, like, satirical article somebody wrote back in 2011 analyzing the show, like, pretending it is full-on Marxist. And it's really funny. Like, they try to say, like, oh, Papa Smurf is Marx because he has a beard and Brainy is Trotsky because he has glasses. It's so stupid. (laughs) But it it was an entertaining read. If you want to look into it, it's, I think, one of the sources, like, on the Wikipedia page or something. So my answer is, like, yes, but I don't think that's the point, I guess. You know, like, it's just, like, often kids shows do not deal with glass very much. Yeah especially in that time period. But more importantly, I have a very important question, which is what would be your Smurf name? Oh, okay. <laughs> it's got to be like... Blank the, Smurf. Know, descriptor Smurf. Uh-huh. What would it be? Like Lazy Smurf? <laughs> I think they have a Lazy Smurf. 
like the lazies in the <laughs> quiet here. <laughs> oh no. Um, no, I don't know if I, that's my governing trait. <laughs> <laughs> that's hard, right? Yeah. They have, well, Brainy is a thing, but I don't think it's that's nerdy. Well, the thing about Brainy is, is he's also like stupid. Like he thinks he does everything, but he doesn't. Yeah. So not even accurate. I don't think. Shy Smurf. Shy Aww. Smurf is pretty good. Introvert Smurf. Yeah. <laughs> I don't hang out with the other Smurfs as often. Sometimes I do. I enjoy it, but not that often. <laughs> I'd probably be artsy Smurf. Let's keep it simple. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, that was a fun detour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Another question, I guess, related. Maybe, yeah, it's not intended to be, you know, an example of communism or whatever, but could it be used as a simple sort of rhetorical device mm. when you're kind of introducing your baby lefty friends and stuff and be like, I mean, it'd be really nice, right, if we were just kind of chill like the Smurfs. Yeah. You know, and say like, yeah, communism isn't too far off from that. We, we, you know, that's the world we're going for anyway, is hanging out like the Smurfs. Like the Smurfs. I, yeah, I don't think it's terrible. You know, I think you're immediately going to get some pushback of like, well, watch a kid's show. It's ridiculous. And like, yeah, it is inherently a fantasy. <laughs> but like, it, it does do a good job of kind of explaining the very basics of like, yeah, you provide for people and you like don't arrest them or any of that shit. Like, Everyone gets what they need. Yeah. So that could work. Maybe for a kid. <laughs> yeah. All right. So for those of you out there with kids, start indoctrinating. Start them on the Smurfs. <laughs> okay. Next question. Definitely taking a turn here because we're going to talk about violent criminals. All right. Uh, content warning, maybe. Yeah. A bit of a content warning here for, for violence and assault. All right, so these are two questions that I'm going to kind of roll up into one. Uh, one is from Chase, who basically asks, what would we do about serial killers or uh, white supremacist shooters like Kyle Rittenhouse that, in my opinion, can't be reformed and shouldn't be part of society? Uh, what do we do with them, if not prison and extreme cases, execution? And he clarifies that he's talking about extreme offenders, you know, murderers, serial killers, rapists, uh, pedophiles, etc. So not anything close to what we're doing right now with things like nonviolent drug offenders. And then next from Tiger, they ask, how would we deal uh, with people like the Proud Boys or other violent groups um, on a national scale or violent individuals on a local level? A cornerstone of anarchy is not giving fascists a platform. So how would we protect each other? Would there be a control of the flow of harmful information? And what would anti-fascism look like during the conversion to communism? Mm, okay, lots of interesting facets to this question. Definitely, yeah. So first, I did a little bit of research on basically serial killers, which not okay. a super fun Wikipedia deep dive. Don't recommend that. So that's why I just kind of skimmed the surface. <laughs> <laughs> well, different people are into different things. I know some people really follow like serial killer based, you know, oh, yeah, the true podcasts about that and all that. They dig it. So oh, yeah. it's not me, but <laughs> not my bag. Generally speaking, these people are mentally ill. Like they, mm -hmm. they need psychological treatment. I'm of the opinion that humans are not naturally killers. And when you look at the history of serial killers, they often have uh, histories that include, you know, childhood trauma, abuse, neglect, attachment issues, you know, you name it. Like, the, it's, it's not a normal thing. 
you know, and, and right. serial killers are fairly rare all in all. And they didn't wake up one day and decide, dude, I'm going to be a serial killer, like apropos of nothing, you know, there were causes that drove them in that direction and then they did it. I mean, they still do make a choice at some point, but like you say, it's rooted in something. Yeah, definitely. As far as like other types of crime, I feel fairly similarly, like eh, rape, I think is difficult because unfortunately it's extremely common in our society, but like our society is super fucking toxic to like women and marginalized genders. Like it is very much seeped into our culture. So like that's going to take some work to undo. Yeah. We're going to have to be fighting the patriarchy, fighting like a, a culture where sexual assault is, is more normalized and elements of it are more normalized. Mm-hmm. I mean like one in three women, I think experience some form of sexual assault. Like it's insane. Mm-hmm. Basically, my my general thesis for answering this question is that, one, we're going to alleviate a lot of the material and emotional and psychological needs that these people have. If you think about, like, what causes uh, abuse and neglect and stuff like that, like, hurt people hurt people, you know? A lot of times that can even come from class, you know? If your parent is not around because they're always working, like, that's not going to be good for your brain. Like, it's not okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Basically, I think the goal of the society would be that, like, we make it so people don't turn to these sorts of actions at all. And if they have already done so, if we, you know, transition and we're like, okay, what are we going to do with all these violent offenders? I think they should still have a chance to try to heal and, like, reenter society and try to contribute to it. Yeah, I agree. I think we talked about this in a long ago question episode. But yeah, that's that's a hard thing to do, a hard thing to kind of get yourself mentally and emotionally out of the mindset that the way to deal with people getting harmed in society is through a punitive system. Like you want to your natural reaction is I want to punish this person for the the harm that they've caused. Yeah, yeah. And like, it's taken us a long time to even like, if you look at it on an individual level, like parenting styles have finally figured out for the most part, not to say every parent does this, you know, figured out that, oh, yeah, positive enforcement is way better for my relationship with my child than like negative reinforcement, like spanking and corporal punishment, you know, like, and we haven't learned that lesson on like a societal scale, because we still have prisons. (laughs) So yeah, it's gonna take a long time to unlearn that stuff. Yeah. And so I think that that's, you know, that's part of it when, when this question is raised of like, well, how would you deal with these very bad things? Because, you know, we kind of rightfully feel angry at what they've done, you know, whether that's, you know, like we said, murdering or serial murder or, or rape or pedophilia, whatever it is, you know? Yeah. But I think you're right that the actual solution to that isn't let's make sure to be as harsh as we can in punishment or let's make sure to lock them up for a long time or what have you like the solution is like you said fixing your society to produce fewer of these people and then making sure that you can treat those people when they're when they do arise and you're not always going to be successful you know not everyone is going to be able to just statistically speaking, like not everyone's going to be able to reintegrate into society as like a functioning person. Like they may need mental health treatment 
in controlled facilities for the rest of their life. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Like, you know, if you are going for a total libertarian anarchism kind of vibe, like I think you would still have to have some people locked up if if they're like undergoing this treatment because some people might like say no, <laughs> you know, like you, you can't just like have them running around. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, you would have to, you know, the I guess the essential mm, comparison to nowadays is like commit them you know, yeah, to yeah. institutions of that sense. Now, they, they wouldn't be like institutions that we have now, which, which are, are just terrible. Yeah, like these would be professionally like run by experts and. Yeah, not a profit driven thing. Yeah. Uh, this other facet of it is interesting. So. Both of them mention like white supremacist type things or like the Proud Boys, violent reactionary groups or like Kyle Rittenhouse or what have you. What should be done with them? <laughs> I don't know. All I know is I think it's OK to punch a fascist. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and that's that's small scale, <laughs> but systemically, institutionally, systemically, what should we do? <sighs> Here's the thing. I don't think we should like overly regulate free speech which sucks because i don't want i guess what i'm saying is those things also have consequences you know like people can fucking shun you and like fucking talk all the shit they want about you if you say shit right you don't want to be like the right wing and say hey you have to like me even though i say something racist because <laughs> free speech you know yeah exactly like no free speech just means like you can say it but like i can fucking hate you forever for it yeah yeah <laughs> but in terms of violence you mean yeah in terms of Groups that are, okay, because we're talking about communists dealing with this, so that means that we have some degree of power, because right? otherwise we wouldn't be dealing with it. So <laughs> if they are these violent reactionary groups that are probably out there saying, let's get rid of this communist government, blah, 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 then what? how should we, you know, how should we react to that? Or, you know, prison, because they mentioned, you know, what about prison? What about execution uh what would be done i mean i'm very much reminded of our our game last week like you know you're gonna have people who want to to crack down on them and and do some executions and do some some roundups yeah and you're gonna have i would say i lean more towards the anarchist side of like what are their actual concerns and can we address those if at the end of the day, like you question them further and they're like, no, I'm just a big old racist. Right. And it's like, all right, you need to leave. Like <laughs> we should kick them out. You're out. Or perhaps, you know, you could find some way to say maybe there is a route for your messed up view of society. How'd you get that way? Maybe you need like counseling and different things. Maybe they need <laughs> mental health facilities for. I mean, often they do. Let's be real. Yeah, there, there could be downsides to that. That gives me the vibes of how we we're saying in our Soviet Union episode, how they did in those later years, like kind of use or institutionalize people mm -hmm. yeah, uh, as, as a method of, of control. That, that did happen. And that would be something to kind of an excess to guard against. For sure. For sure. Now, I would add, this is where my 70 something percent Marxist Leninism comes in. I would add <laughs> that if this is in a revolutionary context. If we're still fighting for control over this thing. You can pop them. That's fine. This, yeah, I mean, this, <laughs> if it's still in the Civil War stage, the Red Terror has to go on. I mean, these these guys would do the same. <laughs> Sorry, guys. And uh, that would just have to be dealt with. But I agree with you that once we're more stable and we are 
in a in a governing position and not a fighting for our existence position, which could be a while because I mean, is it going on in the rest of the world? Like, do we have the other countries like bearing down on us, sort of thing? But anyway, once once we're to that stage, we should be looking at more. How can we solve these problems? Not how can we compromise? Not like how can we give them a little bit of right wingery, but like <laughs> how can we make this society better through our methods so that their complaints fade away and they'll have to be like, well, damn, like I would complain more, but I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, because often those those kinds of ideas, not all the time, like there are people who are straight up racist, but a lot of times they can come from a place of, of like class insecurity and, and fears and things like that. You know, like you feel that if someone else gets something, that means I get less, you know? Yeah. There's another good component to this would be propaganda. Uh, we need to make sure that we're not producing more of these people by educating the youth, uh, by yeah, ostracizing yeah. these people as much as possible. We need, you know, billboards all over the place that say, <laughs> you don't want to be you know, a jackass like this guy, you know, you don't want to be <laughs> some asshole racist, you know, or fascist or what have you. For sure. And for sure. Controlling the flow of harmful information. I think Tiger mentioned that in their question. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, part of that controlling it is not so much like shutting other stuff down as putting your stuff out there, you know, and we need to Definitely. be out there saying, hey, here's the here's way why this is good. Yeah. Here's the beautiful future we're, we're building. Join it. Don't be a loser. You know? Yeah. Another addition, like you're saying, like, I think some violence is fine if you're in revolution. I think it's fine in like certain extreme situations too. Like the Kyle Rittenhouse example, if you got a sniper on that guy, yeah, that's fine. (laughs) Like that guy sucks, you know, like take him out. Okay. Like you mean in the heat of the moment is what you're saying. In the heat of the moment, if you have someone holding (laughs) hostages and shit, you know. You're not saying like like, after the facts and hit team on him. Okay. Oh, yeah, no. (laughs) Yeah, I like like the, the questions. I think these were... I appreciate them because they're they're both they both seem very good faith and stuff, you know, like definitely, yeah. Sometimes you'll get someone swaggering in like, "What? What about this? <laughs> you know, what if somebody kills your friend? Oh, what God. would you do? You yeah. know, that sort of thing." And like, you know, we've mentioned that before too. I think in our Angela Davis episodes, like you shouldn't be in charge of that decision. Like you're too wrapped up in it. That's that's going to be violent. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, there would be like more detail, more nuance, mm-hmm. and probably stuff we're not thinking of. I'm right sure. Now, you know? <laughs> I'm sure. It, we'd have to figure that out in the moment, I guess. Yeah. It'd be a toughie. All right. That was a serious but, one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> From Smurfs to Killers. We've been, yeah, we were in space. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a good episode description. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for all your awesome questions. Yeah, these are great. Keep them coming. We we build up a big pile and we <laughs> we sit on them. We kind of yeah let them let them steep. <laughs> we let them ferment. <laughs> yeah, and we'll we'll kind of pick through them and uh, see what we get next time, which will be a while from now. But <laughs> yeah, my goal is to do this like maybe a few times a year, and I think that's kind of what we've been doing so far. Maybe like four times. I think we're on average. A quarterly report. Yeah, I know. I was trying to avoid <laughs> saying quarterly because it sounds too businessy. What if we say seasonal? Ooh, that sounds good. That sounds more artisanal. Yeah, I like this it. is your spring menu of questions. <laughs> <laughs> Farm to table. Oh yeah, that really ties into next week. <laughs> oh yeah. By the way, what are we doing next week? <laughs> next week we are going to talk about corn. 
Hell yeah. Corn. I love it in tortillas. Oh, hell yeah. Have you ever seen Secondhand Lions? No. Okay. Well, listeners, there's just one part where like they accidentally grow all corn seeds because like the seed guy scammed them. And uh, the, one of the old guys goes, corn, corn, corn. <laughs> and it's like my favorite. Anyway, so the original premise of this episode was that I read The Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan. And I had a lot of feelings about it. And I thought it would make a good episode. I typed up my notes and they were way too long. And so I decided to split it because honestly, the first half of the book is about corn. So <laughs> we're going to start there. Now, when you say way too long, are you saying it's like five pages or something? Um, it was like 17. Oh, that's pretty. Okay, good. <laughs> it I was, was long say, for you. <laughs> yeah, I was going to be like, I was. Uh, I thought it'd be funny if you're like, oh yeah, it was like nine pages. No, it was so <laughs> long. And like, I left out a couple chapters. Like, it, it was very long. <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good call divvying it up into two. Yeah. So I'm thinking part one is going to cover corn because it really gives us a good base for like, the economic just fucking hoops and shoots and ladders that we go through for capitalism and food supply. And then in a future episode, we can start tackling like the organic market and something called beyond organic and, and questions about like ethical consumption of animals, things like that. So. Okay. Awesome. I'm also going to watch the documentary King Corn and see if that provides anything additional so if you want to watch that you can and if you want to read the book you can it's very good recommend all right excellent i will probably read about it but not read no that's all you need to do (laughs) i mean full disclosure like this book is not leftist like (laughs) yeah it's it's liberal at best you have to apply some leftist he'll walk right up to it but he won't say it you know what i mean (laughs) classic liberal yeah yeah he'll be like capitalism's bad and then not offer any solutions and you're just like okay (laughs) (laughs) Wish that would go away somehow. (laughs) I'm going to make my own personal shopping choices better. It's like, good for you, man. (laughs) Hey, you know, on the other hand, do what you can. Yeah, yeah. You know, try to try to live morally. But it's not enough. (laughs) It's not. It's okay. All right, cool. Well, I'll talk to you next time then. All right. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up and coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.